Lord is strong with me. This is God's word. This is God speaking to me. I am who God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I will become everything God has promised. I'm saved, healed, delivered, redeemed. I'm blessed, victorious, prosperous, triumphant. I'm a minister of God, a servant of Christ, and a channel of His blessing to many people. I receive His word, I believe His word, and I live by His word. Christ is my master, and to Him I am an absolute surrender in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I think uh, everyone here uh, knows how important spices are to Indian cooking, right? Especially the ladies and some of us men know how important spices are. Let's see, how many men here know how to cook, or at least one dish, other than bread and eggs, right? Other than bread and eggs, I mean, you know how to cook at least one dish. Hands up. One, two, three. That's pretty good, pretty impressive. Good, good. Thank you very much. All right. So we know how important spices are. You know, you've got your meat and you've got your potatoes. But without those spices, it's not going to go down, right? Especially for Indians. You've got to have those spices. They're very important. Uh, (coughs) Sorry. (coughs) It's very important to have those spices um, as part of what you're doing uh, in the kitchen. So this morning, I want us to start a series of studying. It's called Seven Spices. We're going to find out what it's about and discover that. Let's turn in our Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Peter, Peter is writing here. We're going to read this entire passage, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. And then we're going to look at the seven spices that Peter talks about. Simon Peter, a bond servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of, our, and of Jesus our Lord. As His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue. By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. That through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also, for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. To virtue, knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, that means you have these spices in a good measure, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. 
For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're going to pick up and just look at verses 5 onwards, verse 5 onwards, where Peter says, you know, we've been called by God and he's given us these great and exceeding precious promises by which we are partakers of the divine nature. And then he says, listen, guys, I want you to do something. Add to your faith. Add to your faith. Now, when Peter is talking about faith, we must understand where he's coming from. Peter's kind of faith. I mean, Peter was with Jesus when, uh, when the Lord Jesus gave all his teaching on faith. You know, Peter was there when he stepped out of the boat and actually walked on the water to go to Jesus. That was great faith. And of course, he stumbled, he started sinking, and Jesus pulled him up and he said, you know, why are you so fearful, oh, you have little faith? Peter was there when, uh, when uh, uh, the, the woman with the issue of blood come in, came and touched the hem of Jesus' garment, and Jesus turned around and said, daughter, great is your faith, your faith has made you whole. Peter was there when uh, Jesus looked at the blind man and he said, according to your faith, be it unto you, and his eyes were opened. So Peter was somebody who knew what he was talking about when he was talking about faith in God. In fact, Peter, after the resurrection of Jesus, when he was walking into the temple along with John, he saw this lame man who had been there almost 40 years. And Peter and John say, look upon us. And this lame man looks on Jesus and Peter says, you know, silver and gold, I have none. But what I give you, uh, what I have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ. Rise up and walk. And then he goes on to explain. He says, you know, this is how it happened. In Acts 2.13, he says, faith given to us by God has made this man perfectly whole. So Peter knows what he's talking about. He's talking about the, he knows the power of faith. He knows what faith in God can do. Now, over the last two months or so, we've spent a lot of time uh, talking about faith, trying to understand uh, faith and the dynamics of faith in God. But the same Peter now says, add to your faith. In other words, guys, I mean, you can have this faith that moves mountains and, and rocks nations and does all these wonderful things, but to live the Christian life properly, You've got to add it to your faith. You've got the meat and potatoes, but you need to throw some spices in. And he lists seven of these. He says, add to your faith virtue. And, uh, let me get down. and then he says, knowledge, which is spiritual understanding or the renewing of the mind. And he talks about self-control or discipline. And he talks about perseverance, which is endurance, patience. And then he says godliness or purity, holiness. And then he says brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, he says, add love. So, in as much as understanding and operating in faith is great and exciting, you don't stop there, full stop. The equation continues because you've got to add to your faith all these things. I like how the Message Bible puts it in uh, verses 5 to 7. The Message Bible says, So don't lose a minute in building on what you've been given, complementing your basic faith with good character, spiritual understanding, alert discipline, passionate patience, reverent wonder, Warm friendliness and generous love. Each dimension fitting into and developing the others. Add it to your faith. Now, here's what Peter says. Here's the motivation. He says, in verse 8, he says, If these things are yours and about, I mean, if you've got all these spices going on in your life, if you've got all these things in you, adding to your faith, if these things are yours and abound, here's what's going to happen. He says, you will not be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. In other words, you've got your faith in, in the Lord, you're saved. And as you add these ingredients to your faith, he says, if you do that, it's going to make you fruitful in your walk with God. 
Otherwise, you're just going to be barren. You're just going to have a Christian life that doesn't produce anything, no fruit coming. And then he also continues, in verse 10, he says, if you do these things, you will never stumble. Now, you've got your faith, but you need all these ingredients in order to make sure that you don't stumble. Now, many times I pray, I say, God, you know, I want to live till I'm 80. All right, I'm going to do my best, take care of my health, eat healthy, exercise so that I can live till 80. I don't know about you, I like to live long, amen? Because still I'm alive, I want to preach the gospel, I want to serve God, I want to affect the nation, I want to turn cities to the Lord, amen? But to do that, you need to have a healthy body. But there's another thing I pray. I say, God, till I'm 80, I want to make sure I finish this race well. It's easy to begin the race. It's easy to, you know, serve God five years, ten years, and you know, have these, all this glamorous ministry, and that's all easy. The question is, what will you be doing 20 years from now? What about 30 years from now? What about 40 years from now? What about 60 years from now? Will, you, will your life in God still be pure? Will you still be running the race? Will you, at the end of your days, be able to say like Paul the Apostle, I have fought a good fight. I've finished my course and I've kept the faith. So Peter says, if you want to make sure that you will not stumble and fall, add to your faith these ingredients. Amen? How many of you want to make sure that you run your race well to the finish? Can I see your hands? We want to do that. But to to make that happen, he says, add to your faith. All these things. And then he gives us a little warning here. He says, you know, if you don't add to your faith these ingredients, verse 9. For he who for he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness. If you lack these things, he says, you're short-sighted even to the point of being blind, not being able to see. Meaning, your life, you're, you're, you have a Christian life, but you're kind of blind. You're not able to see beyond the natural. You're not able to see into the spiritual. You're not able to see things long term. If you don't have, add these things to your faith. And he says, in verse 9, and you're like a person who forgets that he was cleansed from his old sins. I mean, you forget what God has brought you out from. And there is a possibility, there is a tendency wanting to go back to these old sins. If you don't add these things. So it's so important for us as believers to add to our faith all of these seven ingredients. Are you with me so far? So we're going to start looking at each of these seven spices, these seven things that Peter lists for us. And uh, this morning we're going to talk about the very first one, which is virtue or character. As the Message Bible says, good character. Add to your faith, good character. You've got faith, that's good. Something to it. Good character. The Greek word that's translated as virtue in the English King James Bible is the Greek word aritas, which simply means good quality. Excellence of any kind. And it was also used to denote manliness, strength, vigor, courage, and so on. Now, Peter uses this word virtue at least three times in his, in his two epistles. So right here in the passage that we read this morning in 2 Peter chapter 1, uh, he uses the word virtue in verse 3, and he says, we've been called to glory and virtue. This is a calling. God has given you an invitation saying, come, be a person of virtue. And then in verse 5, he says, add to your faith virtue, good character. The other place he uses this word virtue is in, in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. So if we just flip over to 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9. Peter says, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises. The word praises in the Greek is virtue. Aritas, the same word translated virtue. He says that you may proclaim, put on display the virtue. Of him, of Christ, 
who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So he's saying, you know, you've been called to put on display, to show forth the virtue, the character of Jesus. The one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's a calling. God wants us to display Christ-like character. It's something we need must add to our faith. Amen? Now, let's talk about character, good character. What is character? Character is who you really are. Your inner core. That's who you really are. Who you are when no one is watching is an expression of your character. See, when you come to church, you know, in front of pastor, you know, hey, don't say any bad words, smile, look up, pay attention, don't fall asleep. I mean, you know how to behave when you're in church. I mean, everybody's watching. But when no one is watching, who you are is an expression of your character. Your secret choices describe your character. What choices do you make and no one's watching? That describes your character. Who you are when the pressure cooker whistle is blowing is an expression of your character. What comes out of you when you're squeezed is your character. That's your real you, the inner core. And the Bible is saying that our character must be forged and must be an expression of Jesus Christ. Now, character takes time to develop. Grace is given freely from heaven. But character is developed over time here on earth. So don't get discouraged this morning and say, oh, I have such a bad character. Relax. None of us have a perfect character. We are all works in progress. Amen? Grace is freely given from heaven. You come to the Lord saying, God, forgive me. He forgives you. He's very lavish with his grace. He embraces you. He welcomes you. All that is given freely. But character is something he allows you and me to develop here on earth over time. Amen? Now, let's talk about what shapes and and, and, and what really helps mold our character? What, uh, what influences the development of our character? And I just want to share a few things on that. Number one is that companions influence character. Companions influence character. The people you hang out with. The guys you you spend time with and the kind of things you listen to and allow to get into your life. That's, or those are your companions and companions influence character. It's in the Bible. I'm not making this up. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and see what Paul says right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You know, the 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is a chapter where Paul is really talking about the resurrection. He's talking about, you know, life after death. He says, look, we're all going to die one day and, and, and we're going to go to heaven and our bodies are going to be resurrected. They're going to be transformed. They're going to be changed. He's talking about, you know, eternal life after death. But in the middle of all that, he interjects these thoughts in verses 32 to 34. This is what he says. He says, if in the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me? If the dead do not rise, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. And he says, look guys, you know, I mean, look at all that I'm going through. When I went to Ephesus, I fought with people as I was, fought, as I was fighting with animals. I mean, if, 
life was just about living and dying and then why do I need to do all this? Let's just eat and drink for we all are going to end up in death. But then he says, verse 33, do not be deceived. Don't get fooled. There's more to life than this. And then he makes a statement. He actually quotes from a non-Christian writer of his time. He says this, evil company corrupts good habits. Or some versions say good character. Evil company corrupts good habits or good character. And then he continues. He says, verse 34. So people at all people's shirts, 11.35 in the morning, awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. So he said, guys, you know, wake up. Understand that evil company will corrupt good Manners are good habits. Companions influence character. Or the verse that many of us are familiar with in Proverbs 17, verse 17. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens his friends. Companions. Now, we live in a virtual world. Meaning, you've got flesh and bone friends and you've got virtual friends. Sundays, you hang out with flesh and bone friends in church. But Monday to Saturday, you've got these virtual friends on Facebook. I mean, they're all over the world. And perhaps in your lifetime, you may never get to see them in flesh and blood. But Monday to Saturday, you're in this virtual world. You've got virtual friends. So Sunday morning, you look nice before pastor. You're hanging out with John and Mary and Joe and whatever, you know. And they all sing hymns and they all say the Christian words. But Monday to Saturday, you're in your virtual world with all your virtual friends. And what we forget is virtual friends have a real influence on your character. So what do you mean? Because even though you may never see them in flesh and blood, their thoughts become your thoughts. Their opinions become your opinions. Their philosophies become your philosophies because you read everything they post. And you believe it. You embrace it. Your virtual friends have more influence than you realize. Now you're saying, I thank God pastor doesn't have a Facebook account. I don't have time for it. That's why I'm on LinkedIn. I like to connect with people for business. But Facebook, I don't have time. Maybe when I retire, I'll catch up with you guys. You know? now, but the point is this. Your virtual friends, they don't come to church. But you're hanging out with them on Facebook. And they do have an influence on your character because you are listening or reading to the things they say and it's getting into your system. Your companion, your books are your companions. It's good to read, but it's important what you read. Some people say books are your best companions. Maybe true. But be careful what you read. Music, what you listen to. Music is a good companion. You can take them along anywhere. And they will always sing what you want to hear. But the problem is, you got to be careful. Because everything you hear is getting into your system. Companions influence character. And there are these virtual companions that if we are not careful of, they can influence our life the wrong way. Whether it's your friends on Facebook, whether it's the books you read or the music you listen to. They are your companions. Are you with me? I know this is not a youth service, but. The second thing that really influences our character is that challenges build character. Challenges build character. Let's go to Romans chapter 5.
Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Oh, there's nothing wrong with Facebook, please. You want to use it to connect with friends, perfectly fine. But uh, just be careful. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character brings hope. Now hope does not disappoint us because the love of God is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Notice what Paul says. He says, tribulation develops endurance, and endurance develops character. So character cannot be developed outside of trials, tribulations, temptations, tests. We've got to go through that stuff so that it builds endurance. And as you endure through it, what's really happening is your character is being developed and being taken to another level. So when many of us, when we face trials... Temptations, tests. Understand that it's not a bad thing. Don't get discouraged because of the trials you're facing, the tests you've got to go through, the, uh, the temptations you've faced. Don't get discouraged by it. Because, you know, if you will just endure through it, it will produce or help develop character in your life. Amen? Now, as we go through trials, as we go through temptations, as we go through tests, it's possible that we may make mistakes. We may even have failures. Don't get discouraged. The point is, you need to learn from your mistake. You need to learn from your failure. And allow that to spur you on to higher levels Of godly character. Of good character. Are you with me so far? So don't get discouraged. We all make mistakes. I've made mistakes. I've yielded to temptation. I've failed in tests that I would have liked to have passed. But God doesn't give up on me. And he doesn't give up on you. The point is. Can I learn from my failures? Can I learn from my mistakes? Can I learn from my falls? And get back on my feet and say, God, I want to keep moving up. Amen? The other thing you and I must understand is that you need strong character to handle triumphs. You need strong character to handle triumphs. You're more susceptible to failure in your triumph than in your trial. Most failures have happened not in the middle of trials, but in the middle of triumphs. Because that's when most people have been lax concerning character. David, when he was in the wilderness, lived an impeccable life. But when he got into the palace... Is when he had most of his tragedies. Because it's in triumph. That we become more vulnerable. For failure. And so your testing. Your trial. Your temptation. Is really a good preparation. For your season of triumph. Are you with me so far? So enjoy your tests. Enjoy the trials. Enjoy the temptation. Meaning, I mean, not enjoy. Meaning, go through it with joy. Go through it with joy. Because you know that when triumph comes, you will have the capacity 
to keep standing and not fall. A third way that God brings character, helps develop godly character in our lives is through the counsel and correction. Counsel and correction enhance character. When the lessons we learn, when correction comes into our lives, play a, have a great role in, in, in helping us develop character. Counsel and correction. When godly people speak into your life, when godly people correct you, it's all designed to help build up and strengthen your character. But like we said last Sunday, how you receive correction will determine whether you're going to go up or go down in your character. And that was the big difference between Saul and David. Saul made one mistake. He lost the kingdom. David made many mistakes. And God says, this is my guy. He's a man after my heart. Say, God, this doesn't add up. Why is it that when Saul made one mistake, he lost his kingdom. David made so many mistakes and God said, you know, he is the the great ancestor of the Messiah. Was God being partial? No. The difference between Saul and David was how they responded to correction. Saul messed up. Samuel came to David and said, Samuel came to Saul and said, Hey Saul, you messed up. How did, Paul, how did Saul respond? At least two times he said, No, I have obeyed. It's the people who messed up. Samuel said, Saul, you've messed up. Saul said, I have obeyed. It's the people. He shifted the blame. David sinned. Nathan the prophet came to him and said, 1 Samuel 12, 2 Samuel 12, David, you have sinned. David's response was, I have sinned before God. Create me, I and I alone, Lord, have sinned before you. Created me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. He never pointed to anything or anyone for blame. He took full responsibility. Saul, because he said, I've obeyed God and shifted the blame, God called it disobedience. He lost his kingdom and he went down further in his character. David, because he accepted full responsibility, went up in his character before God. And God said, he is a man after my own heart. I will build for him an everlasting kingdom. So how we respond to correction will determine if you're going to go up or are they going to go down. In the development of your character. And God deals with us like this. If you go with me to Hebrews chapter 12. You're going to look at verses 5 through 11. Hebrews 12. 5 through 11. Hebrews 12, 5 through 11, it says, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening or the correction of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. 
Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them. But he for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening or correction seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. When you and I are trained by the correction of God in our lives, which means it's an ongoing thing, it produces righteousness and holiness, the development of godly character in our lives. So the outcome of godly character is that we can now put Jesus on display. People can see some resemblance of Christ in our lives, the one who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Also, I like to tell this, I tell this to our our ministry teams. I say, you know, ministry is not about how nice you can preach, what you can put on on stage. Ministry is really an expression of your personal history with God. You're just sharing with people what God has been doing in your life. That's all it is. Ministry is really an overflow of your personal walk with God. You're walking with God. Your cup is overflowing. You just pass it on to others. That's what ministry should be. It's not about, you know, what you can dramatize and and put together for people. It's an expression of your personal history with God. It's an overflow of your personal walk with God. So as you walk with God and God is dealing with you, He's bringing correction into your life. He's he's dealing with issues in your life. You know, it's a good thing. Why? Because now you're able to help others in that same area. You're able to give in to other people's lives because you've been through it. Some people say, I've been to hell and come back. Wonderful. Now you can help all the others. Who are in hell or on the way to hell. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1, you know, the God of all comfort, he comforts us so that we may comfort others with the same comfort which we have received. So your ministry of comfort is really an overflow of the comfort you have received from God. Amen. I want to close this, this morning's message by just trying going to a place where we can see the expression of character in daily life. So what does good character look in daily life? And we're going to go to a very unusual place. We're going to go to Proverbs 31. All the women say, ouch. We're going to go to Proverbs chapter 31 because given there is a really nice description of character in everyday life. What does good character look like in everyday living? You find it in Proverbs 31. Now, you know, Proverbs 31 verses 10 onward, just talking about a virtuous woman. Now, I don't want us to read this passage like, I wish my wife was like this, you know. Please, don't do that. Let's just ease the pressure on all the ladies. Instead, I want us to read this passage from the perspective of, you know, what does good character look like in everyday life? I mean, it's talking about a woman, but it could just be a well as, you know, here's a virtuous man. Could very well be a man. Because character is gender independent. All the ladies say amen. <laughs> right? So, you know, let's just read this passage. Not so much as like, okay, this is the kind of woman I'm supposed to look for. No, 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 relax. We are trying to understand what are the traits? What are the marks of good character? So, verse 10, Proverbs 31, verse 10. Just follow along with me. And many of these traits or marks are repeated, so you'll find some repetition here. Verse 10 says, who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. Virtuous. It's the Hebrew word which kind of has the same meaning as our Greek word for virtue. Forceful, strong character. Who can find a a woman with strong character? Because she is priceless. So let's just make it gender neutral. A person with strong character is priceless. 
Amen? You're of great value when you have good character. Now, what does good character look like in everyday life? Verse 11. The heart of a husband safely trusts her so he will have no lack of gain. Trustworthy. So are you trustworthy? Are you a person who is reliable? Who is dependable? Can people count on you? That's a mark of good character. Verse 12. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She is kind, benevolent. Make it neutral. Good character is kind, is benevolent. Do you do good to those who are connected to your life? Especially those who are very close to your life. It's it's nice to do some good thing for somebody. You know, you meet them once a month. But when you kind of rub people day in and day out, Monday to Saturday in the office or at home, do you treat them with kindness? Let's move. Verse 13, she seeks wool and flax and willingly works with her hands. Are you a willing worker? It's a mark of good character. Or do people have to prod you and push you? Hey, do this man and do that. Get it done. I mean, does your boss say you're a willing worker? Or he says like, man, he's like this donkey. I got to beat every, sorry, sorry. (laughs) I mean, I got to push him on for every little thing. I mean, are you a willing worker? It's a sign of good character in everyday life. Verse 14, she's like the merchant ship. She brings her food from afar. She is industrious. And you'll find this repeated and elaborated as we go along. She, you know, she looks beyond just what she's supposed to do. She gets her food from afar. Verse 15, She also rises while it's yet night and provides food for a household and a portion for a maidens or maidservants. She's very conscientious. She knows she has responsibilities in the house. She gets up very early. Husband has to say, hey, it's seven o'clock. Please make some tea. She's up early. She knows she's got to take care of her home. She's got people to take care of in the house. So are you conscientious As a student, as a professional in your workplace, as a person at home. I mean, do you look out for the things that are under your responsibility? Dutiful. I didn't say beautiful, I said dutiful. (laughs) I mean, like, you get up early, you're, you're on the job. That's, service is not over, please remain here. Verse 16, she considers a field and buys it, and from her profits, so she's doing some, she's, you know, she's working other things, you know, from the profits, she's planting a vineyard. Again, verse 16 says, she's very industrious. She's, she's expanding what she's doing. She's not like, you know, okay, my husband wants four chapatis, so every day I do four chapatis enough. I mean, she thinks beyond that. She's industrious. I think we'll have a lot of women entrepreneurs here. Verse 17. She guards herself with strength and she strengthens her arms. Meaning, she improves herself. Are you a person who's working on improving yourself? That's a mark of good character. So, you know, I've been born like this. I will die like this. You just accept me like this. Relax. The reason you're living is so that you can get better each day. Work on some of these issues you have. Work on some of the, uh, you know, the character flaws, the defects. Work on them. Make yourself a better person. She strengthens herself. That's a mark of good character. A person who is willing to improve and learn. And 
and develop themselves. 18. She perceives that a merchandise is good and a lamp does not go out by night. Verse 19. She stretches out her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. Again, she is very industrious or she's a willing worker. Her lamp does not go out by night. Verse 18 says, meaning she's up working. Hard worker. A mark of a virtuous person. Works hard. I know all you call centers, you say, man, I, I do it at night. <laughs> it's a little different here. Verse 20. She extends a hand to the poor. Yes, she reaches out her hands to the needy. So again, she's very kind. She's generous, benevolent. A mark of good character, a trait of good character. Kindness, benevolence, generous. Being generous with, with people, giving to other lives. Verse 21. She's not afraid of snow for a household, for all the household is clothed with scarlet. This is being preemptive. Looking ahead and, and, and keeping things in such a, a shape that everything is secure, so that when snow comes, she's not afraid. Heavy rains, the roof will not fall. I mean, she is looking ahead, getting things ready, everything is in place, she keeps herself secure, or her household secure. Are you such a kind of a person in, in the work you do, looking ahead and, and just, you know, making sure that what you do cannot be affected by some unexpected calamity, something that happens. Or if snow comes, not going to affect. Verse 22. She makes herself tapestry. She makes tapestry for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. This does not mean she goes down commercial streets and picks the most expensive stuff. What it means is she carries herself with dignity and honor. The way she clothes herself. I'm not saying she never wears jeans. You know, that's, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is the way she carries herself regardless of you know, whether she wears whatever. She carries herself with dignity and honor. Are you a man? Are you a woman? You carry yourself with dignity and honor that there's no loose thing. No. I'm trying to find the right word. No, you know, uh, unnecessary thing coming out of your life. You're, the way you carry yourself is with dignity and honor. Verse 23. A husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. That's good for him. Verse 24. <laughs> she makes linen garments and sells them and supplies sh- sashes for the merchants. Again, she's industrious. She's doing things beyond what she just has to do. Verse 25. Repetition. Strength and honor are her clothing. She shall rejoice in time to come. She clothes herself with strength, honor, and dignity. Are you such a man or a woman? Verse 26. She opens her mouth with wisdom. She opens her mouth with wisdom. On her tongue is a law of kindness. So she is wise and she is kind. Mark of good character. You speak with wisdom and kindness. Lastly, verse 27, she watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Once again, she's watchful over what is under her responsibility. She's being conscientious. She's taking care of things well. So these are some, this is a description of good character in everyday life. Amen? Add to your faith good character so that people can see a display of Jesus Christ through you. Let's stand to our feet. I'm going to call the worship team up here, please. And <clears throat> we could take a few moments to respond here this morning. You know, I don't want you to get discouraged and say, oh no, I'll never make it. 
I've got all these flaws. I mean, I get up only at 10 o'clock in the morning. I, I can't work and do this. And I mean, I don't want you to get discouraged. You know, we are all works in progress. None of us are perfect. But I want to just encourage you this morning. Add to your faith virtue. Add to your faith good character. Because if you have these things, Peter says, you will be fruitful and you will not fall in your walk of faith. So as we take a few moments just to respond to the word this morning, I want you to pray as our team leads us. And in a few moments of waiting on the Lord, just when you pray and say, God, please work on my character. And maybe you want to talk about one or two or three areas of your life where you say, God, I, I'm struggling in these areas. I need your help. There's nothing wrong in saying, God, I'm struggling. The Bible says we stand naked before God. Hebrews 4 and 13, it says, God just knows everything about us. So might as well just be honest, just open and say, God, I want to add to my faith good character. Work in me, God. Work in these areas of my life. I, I just want to see these things change in me, God. And the Bible says, as we all of us behold him dimly through a glass, we are all changed into that same image by his spirit. It's good news for us. His Holy Spirit is at work changing us into that image. Don't get discouraged by your weaknesses. Bring it to the potter. Bring it to the one who can mold you and make you. After his own will. So that one day you. One day I. Will be able to be like Jesus. Father we just pray that by your spirit. And by your words. Continue the work you're doing in us Lord God. That you will continue to shape us. Continue to mold us. Till all can see. Christ only. Always. Living. In me. Thank you Lord in Jesus name. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.